Hi everyone, and welcome to the Whiteboard Podcast. Whiteboard is a podcast that invites recent design grads to be candid about their experience in design education and building their career in creative industries. We are also visited by industry professionals willing to share their wisdom in getting started in creative advertising and the related fields. This is part two of a two-part podcast. In part one, Leo told us about how he built a freelance practice as a brand strategist after arriving in Canada from Germany. Uh, He had no previous education in design, uh, but he was a photographer. And if you want to know the story about how he did that, you can just listen to the last podcast. In this episode, Leo's going to tell us what brand strategy is, what it's like to work as a brand strategist, and share some stories from that industry so we can get to know it a little bit better. So that's the story of capturing the clients and um, negotiating a price with them. Um, a few different ways to do that. You've made a decision, you've sent out this proposal, the client loves it, and they're like, okay, take the job. Um, what does Leo do next? Right. Um, the, the, branding, the branding process as a whole is um, a very elastic one. Um, because as we mentioned, you can spend a million dollars just on the logo and go up from there, right? Like there's really no no rules necessarily in how much um, time you invest into any particular item. But the reality of it is that a lot of branding projects are a lot less than that. Um, so what what is important to understand in the process is after the discovery, you understand the challenge they're looking for. You have a scope of work. Uh, that di- dictates like the tasks that you're going to tackle. Um, the next thing that is important for me is the brand strategy aspect. So I typically dive into their business a lot deeper. I look at the market. Um, if the project's bigger, you can engage with marketing research firms. Um, they will give you some reports and insights on specific um, elements. So you will hire someone or they have that data just ready to go? Both. Both. Chase had that data ready to go. Chase had that. Yeah. Chase owned it, or they had already bought it from they someone. They bought it from someone, right? And they give it to you. They give it to you, right? Okay. Other businesses might not have it yet, okay. but um, then you engage with a marketing research firm. So if you if you need that data, and you didn't put that in your quote, can, do you go to Chase with a a um, like a financial case, like, hey, you need to buy this, and it's not included in our deal? Or would you have thought of that from to begin with? From the beginning, you yeah. don't forget something like okay. that. Because yeah. um, it's expensive. It is very expensive, yeah. Gmail um, ain't free. Well, okay, so there, yeah. there's, again, a scale to it. Right? Okay. Um, for, like, proper market research, it's very expensive. We're talking, like, 50K up. For and time. Like, for a report. And time. And time invested, yeah. yeah. But since they're an agency, like, most of that will be on their end. But, um, so, like... There, there's a scale to things you don't like if there's ever an extra expense we might want to cover that but you can always approach your client saying hey this came up like this neither one of our fault um but you don't forget something like this in the estimate like when there are outside things that you need that is included in the estimate saying hey like we need this to complete it and that's like if usually you get a quote from other agencies and you put it in or you reference it or you say um, that this is not included but you make it clear that there's extra costs right you don't, the last thing you want is um having any surprises when it comes to billing okay. that's the very last thing you want that's what i figured yeah that's uh yeah it's on the bottom of the list um 
always trouble if there's any, yeah, any issues with the billing. And you know, mar- market research on a small scale. So I've done like very small yeah. restaurant branding projects. If you're a junior or freelancer and you're picking up that Upwork job, your first job, um, that could be as simple as going to the restaurant next door mm-hmm. and having treat yourself to a glass of wine or a beer and just watch what kind of people come in. Is it families? Yeah. Is it young couples? Are they packed at 5.30 or are they packed at 8.30? Yeah. And it really could just be, and, and like, is it trendy? Is it a dark restaurant? Is it a bright restaurant? Um, what's on the menu? Is it lots of cocktails? Or And that, like, it could be that simple yeah. um, for, for someone working on a small project. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not talking about that. Um, we're talking about Leo's big project. Well, we're also talking about that because most projects are not massive projects, right? Um most of them fall like somewhere in the middle where it might be too much to invest in market research, but you still need something to move the business forward. There's too much at stake to just make a blind guess, right? Um, because the last thing you want is reposition the business and then they lose all their business and uh, their employees. And there is a lot at stake. So you do want to yeah, do your due diligence when it comes to that. But um, again, like this can range from anything from a small startup that has not a product in the market to someone that is very established and has 50 employees. Um, what's important is that you do your due diligence and you make sure that you cover your bases. So um, for market research, um, great example, the restaurant business. You go to restaurants all the time anyway. You can just be more attentive to how the process works, um, how people interact, um, and what you liked, what you didn't like especially going to different restaurants, that's kind of like a little bit of competitive research in a way if you're living locally with a business. Um, understand what other businesses are doing. And you can do a lot online, uh, ghost, like ghost shopping, quantitative research. You can, um, yeah, you can just buy other people's products and experience them for yourself. And um, there are a lot of things that are not very expensive to do that gives you, give you all great insights. There are also some um, super cheap marketing tools where you can do some sort of service to specific um, customers, uh, customer segments that are inexpensive. Um, they vary in their results, but they can sometimes be very insightful if you want to mess, uh, test your messaging. Um, but again, like it really depends on the project. If it's a small startup that just needs something to get started, um, you don't need to invest a lot of time in brand strategy. And that's why it's an elastic process because um it really allows you to either scale up or down any stage of the of this uh, um, yeah of the process to ensure that everything um, gets enough attention to not fail. Um, and the other the other example is like a venture capitalist funded startup. You do want to invest in that because there's a lot of money behind it that you don't want to just waste uh, waste in like campaigns that don't make sense, right? So it really like you really need to just kind of gauge where it makes sense and where it doesn't make sense to invest your time, your money to make sure that their project is going to be a success, but you also don't invest money somewhere where it doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, And essentially once you have like a good research of the market, um, your competitors, um, you do some uh, exercises with the team or founders or stakeholders of the business, um, you understand their insights, their perspective, their views, what they're looking for, understand their business, their pain points, um, gives you a great perspective of like where you want to go because um, they will have different a different approach or a different 
angle to the solution that you're finding. Um, speaking about like things, values, mission statement, vision statement, oftentimes I feel like they're not really crafted the way they should be crafted. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you see people coming in, talking to the founders, and they just put like a statement out there. And oftentimes it's way too ambitious uh, for what they're really trying to do. Yeah, we're, yeah, it's always something about being leaders. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, and sometimes it's, it's taking it too broad, right? Really? Like sometimes a restaurant is really trying to just be a really good restaurant and not trying to change the culinary uh, the culinary culture of Toronto. Yeah. Right? Um, so I like when I see this, like I almost like have to laugh at myself because I've made that mistake myself. And the problem with like having very ambitious statements that you craft basically on, on a feeling or what you think the business is really in um, oftentimes leads to misaligned expectations with your clients or customers. Mm. Um, but uh, essentially, good example at the Arch Deluxe. I don't know if anybody remembers. There was a burger mm -hmm. in the '90s released by McDonald's in North America, and it was called the Arch Deluxe, and it was a burger for grown-ups. But mm -hmm. McDonald's had misunderstood their what they are like. It's not a let's go on a date to McDonald's and have a grown-up meal restaurant. Yeah. So there's just a good example. So they had this mission which was completely unaligned with. The yeah. public perception yeah no exactly and that's that's also where like the positioning comes in and it's very very important who you are and and how you can essentially damage your brand by trying to expand right yeah. um so yeah exactly so really look at the business uh like that's what strategy really is and, and see what makes sense and how you actually want to position yourself and don't idealize too much of like what the business should be and uh, and what you want it to be personally, maybe. Mm. Um, it's really about like looking at the market and, and understanding what the consumer is looking for, their pain points, and speaking specifically to that. And uh, oftentimes you almost, from what I'm seeing now in a lot of those brand strategies, you have to be more specific um, than like um, the terms that you use, right? You have to be, you have to be clear, but still ambitious. So finding that balance and like, analyzing the market and, and drawing the right conclusions and positioning your brand is not easy. If you ever are or want to be in the strategy business, brand strategist, by the way, is, is a great position to be in um, because um, there are way too little brand strategists out there. Uh, definitely a role that is in demand, but um, strategists, to become a strategist is, is difficult because there's no clear path in. No one, there's no rule book to teach you uh, maybe you can reference like some war strategies and some, some good books that you can read there, but there's really nothing that um, um, teaches you how to find a good strategy, right? Uh, good good strategy, bad strategy is, is also a good book, but nothing will ever tell you this is what you have to do because that's not how strategy works. It's right. about doing something different. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested, it's kind of going full circle to an earlier conversation. The client comes to you and says, here's who we are. Mm -hmm. And then you're kind of like, yes, but so you do all this research, mm -hmm. you learn more about their business yeah. than they even know, or at least more about the perception of their business by the public mm -hmm. than they even know. You go back to them and you say, here's what I've learned. Or do you not do that? What's that like? No, you definitely do that. Um, essentially, you, you compile all those areas 
Um, what I then do is I craft um, a brand brief or a mess messaging um, messaging brief, essentially, that summarizes um, different elements um, depending on, on the scope of work. It, it really is a lot more custom than people think, um, especially like you know, in the world, like what I'm looking at. Um, there might be like some templates or something you leverage, but for me, it is very specific. It can be very different from business to business. It's not uncovering mission, vision, this, like that's not it. Um, sometimes I don't even do mission, vision statements because what what is an SEO agency going to do with a mission, vision statement? Um, like so for some business, it just doesn't make sense. So like, yeah. I want to challenge you to think like outside of like what you think needs the business needs, but what does it actually need? And usually... Um, what it needs are things like an elevator pitch that summarizes like what the business really is, a positioning statement summarizing how they differentiate themselves from the from the market, um, maybe some sort of um, brand essence statement or core statement that uh, analyzes who they are internally and how they perceive themselves. Um, maybe it's something about the values too. Those are really the more important things in my opinion than having some lofty mission statement uh, that doesn't really mean anything to anyone because if you actually do want to come up with a mission statement, you need to put in a lot of resources around it to reinforce it and actually make it like something that will become tangible and reality. A lot of businesses are not willing to do that, especially at a smaller scale. Um, so really be careful about just putting things out there because you've learned that this is what a business needs and every business needs a mission statement mm -hmm. and a vision statement and um, the reality of it is it, it, it's not always required so once everything like all the learnings I've, i synthesize into some sort of brief and um, I, I put it in a google doc and i sit down and it's important that that's why i mention it that it's in something that can be edited because i don't ever want to put something there are times where I do, but um, usually in this stage of the process, I don't want to put something um, final in front of my client. I want to say, hey, we're on the same side. Let's discuss this, right? This is what I found. And it sometimes um, prompts, like even before before you present it, maybe you do a second round where you have more questions. Uh, sometimes when you present it, there are more questions, but there are going to be discrepancies sometimes that you do have to point out. And uh, I have never experienced that a client reacted negative to that and said like hey this is like this is wrong right um so i wouldn't be afraid of that usually when you see something there's a reason why you see it and oftentimes the client is like hey i haven't looked at it that way like this is that's why we needed an outsider like this is amazing um to see that um yeah so there is going to be a little bit of discussion there's going to be maybe um some feedback that you get from them in terms of like, hey, can we work on this? Or like, I don't like this work. I'm pretty sure like we can find something else. But um, usually that's when you start being really aligned on like moving forward. And to be honest, after that is set, after you have a really good brand strategy in place, obviously not everyone is a brand strategist. Some are more focused on visuals. Not every business needs brand strategy. But I'm just telling you, if you have brand strategy or strategy experience and you do the strategy for them, the creative after that it's a piece of cake because yep. you know exactly what you're messaging, who you're speaking to, who you're competing with, and it's almost just putting everything together and having fun with it. Um, oftentimes, like that's what most people struggle with is figuring that piece out or they're not too aware of it when they present visual direction for, for business. Um, but after those elements are set, 
in, in at least like some shape or form, it can be in a very small way too, like um, just the basics essentially. Creating a visual that addresses all those points and communicates to their audience can be very simple in terms of like those are the kind of the, the points I need to hit. Awesome. It's, man, it's, it's such a, it's amazing how like, brand, I guess brand strategy, the way you're describing it is like a funnel and you're just trying to learn and synthesize and like something comes out and it's like, then it's like, okay, we can execute on this because it's clear yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. And to give you, give you more tangible examples of results of brand strategy is um, I've recently rented a business in Switzerland um, that does these, um, it's now very, very trendy, like these um, tablets that you can uh, dissolve in water and they, they create some sort of soap for you to use at home. In this case, it, it's for cleaners. So they have um, powders, they have right. um, concentrations of products yeah. that you mix with water. Yeah. And it turns into um, it turns into a product that you can use to clean, right? It's cheaper. You keep it in your pocket. You're not shipping water needlessly. Exactly. I so, get it now. So the point okay. is that you're not shipping water needlessly, and uh, you're saving obviously um, CO two through that already. The other thing is usually those are recycled. You use recycled materials, right? Reuse the same spray bottle. Reuse the and same. you can reuse the same yeah. container. Brilliant. Okay. So it it saves on a lot of different levels essentially. Um, and it is already like a little bit further ahead in Europe um, because they're Typical. they love that type of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, they just mail it like sometimes some products they just come in the mail in a letter, right? It's just a powder. Mm. You send it to you and you put it in your bottle and you can use it. Um, sometimes you order a small bottle, maybe like as big as your hand, and you can use it for refilling your spray bottle five times. It's right? amazing. I was just thinking the other day, like. When we pay to ship wine and beer from Europe, we're paying yeah. to ship water. Yes. Which is so stupid. It is. It's yeah. incredibly stupid. On the logical logical aspect, yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, so we were looking at the market and we saw that everyone that does it, number one thing they said, sustainability. Right. Hey, we're so like. It's not why, though. Is it? No, it, it is. Oh, okay. It is like okay. it is. It is the biggest differentiator if you want to compete against um, products that are like a big selling reason if you're competing against products that don't do it, right? Okay. But the big market gap that we identified essentially is that none of them are really competing against each other because everyone is trying to compete against the traditional way of. Got it. Of like selling those. The, so the USP within the USP. Exactly. So essentially we figured out that everyone sustainability first. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one has like a, a big focus on the actual product quality, which was one thing that was really surprising is everyone like big focus on saving and um, price calculators. And this is so much cheaper than that. Uh, and then actually using a product, it's a little underwhelming at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one and number two is that they're not differentiating against each other so what we did is we our number one um, selling point was high like um, high quality cleaning like how well it cleans number mm-hmm. two was how good it smells because a lot of those products that are tablets they can't put any good sense in it or it just oh. doesn't come through and number three was sustainability and we kind of flipped the script and yeah. we're like hey like this is a really good product and we do what everyone else is doing essentially and saving plastic right um and that is really what good brand strategy is 
It's um, it's figuring out what like looking at the market, looking at your your customers, and figuring out how you can position yourself. And after that, doing the design work is a piece a piece of cake because now you know we want to we want to focus on something that um, kind of underlines the the cleaning ability. So you know right. you're going with stronger colors. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna go with like something a little bit more modern, refreshing. Yeah, bright um, photography. Bright photography. White clothes. You want to focus your back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna focus on the sm- on the scent as well, right? So yeah. you put in like some floral elements where again the sustainability comes in, and Sunshine. all of a sudden like it's so easy, right? It's yeah. so easy to put everything together. Um, but when you like don't do that and you just look at the business, hey, how can I make something pretty? You'll never get there, and no. your clients won't be. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but they will not be as satisfied as when you have like a good piece of strategy in place that just ties everything together. And I'm not saying everyone needs to be a strategist or everyone needs to do like extensive research or something like that, but having a little bit at the beginning will just inform your design decisions so much more. And that goes back to the business of design. Essentially, you have the account management, but then now you see like strategy, the strategy piece or the understanding of the business piece, you can't really chalk it up to necessarily art or design work, but it is so important to make excellent creative work because at the end of the day, it's a business. It's not uh, like a museum or a gallery or something. You, It has goals, it has targets. So understanding that element or that aspect is so, so important to make or create a successful um, rebrand or brand of a company to set them up for success. That's, that's so awesome. I mean, I, sometimes I hear this, referred to as the insight in this case the insight is it it appears rather obvious now that you've said it but our our product cleans better but that was obfuscated by the fact that it was kind of already in a special category and you know now that you say that i see it everywhere in the world like fast food is already a promise that's already the benefit it's fast so but we kind of forgot that because fast food is almost more common than slow food it probably is around here anyways so within there it's like okay well well i cut my hamburgers into squares or i have flame grill my hamburgers so like you you end up with these things that again now it seems like oh that's i already know that but that's only because it's been drilled into my head since i was born really that is an insight um and a benefit within a niche yeah and also how it's interesting how like industries evolve right first time like we had fast food that was competing against regular restaurants. Right. So the USP was like, you drive in and out and like, yeah. it's fast, right? That was the original. But nowadays, that won't sell anymore by itself. Just like, <laughs> it's just like everyone was cleaning with liquid and then there was the tablet cleaner. Yeah. But nowadays, everyone has a tablet cleaner. So it's like, we don't even recognize that as a special anymore. Yeah. We're still early, but... Yeah. Your brand got ahead of the fact that, so that, let, let's say in the future... No one will buy a liquid cleaner. Everyone will buy a tablet everywhere over the world. Yeah. You've put this brand in a place where they're already special. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just, and that's what happened. I think what I'm saying is that has already happened in fast food. Yeah, exactly. Like you you see, that's also like the, essentially when you look at the market, uh, you have your direct competition, indirect competition, right? 
Um, if you look at that, like from like a pizza restaurant place, mm -hmm. you have your direct competition, which are other pizza places down the street. You have your indirect competition, which is frozen pizza. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have uh, even another layer outside of that, which is essentially any other food that people could get instead of pizza, right? So you essentially want to look at all of those areas and see how you can capture your market best. And that means competing directly, indirectly, and with businesses that don't really actually have anything to do with you on the surface, but they still do because at the end of the day, you're not hungry anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like you see it when, if you think about the way things are marketed, like you see it, you see that takeout pizza is positioned as it'll save you having to cook, but you also see it positioned as it's delicious, which are like two completely different things. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, and then you also see it positioned as cheaper than the competition. So it's like they they have to hit all these different competitors, even though they're not direct or indirect. Or and and that's where positioning is also very very beautiful because you don't always have to compete on price. No, right? You don't always have to be the cheapest to win. Um, sometimes you win even though you're the most expensive, right? Mm. Um, we look at, for example, Apple computers, um, very expensive products, um, but they just kill it. Right? Mm -hmm. everyone buys their phones and there are far cheaper solutions out there. But that's like the power of like brand and just having a really superior or very good product that mm -hmm. allows you to compete in other areas where you don't have to race to the bottom. And I think that's also a message to the freelancers because when you know what differentiates you, uh, and I know for me, it's kind of bridging creativity and strategy. And you know that for yourself, What what is your like... Um, unique selling point um i feel like you hate that term i do i don't I, love it i don't yeah, love it but it, okay. I, it does it, it's yeah it's summative and that's always yes. a problem yeah. yeah um but if you do know that for yourself you can also have much easier time competing against other freelancers because yeah. you know which ones you're going to win and which ones you're not yeah but all and yeah and also you're not you don't have to compete on price that's not the only way to it's a way but it's a race to the bottom yeah, it's a race to the bottom. And I'll, I think every freelancer has this point in their career where they're like, I'm going to double my price. And you do it and the client accepts it. And you're like, yeah. wait, really? Like, yeah. well, how long How long could I have done? You know, by the way, not with the current client, with the next client. I just was like, I want this much. Yeah. And you get it. And it's like, oh, yeah, beautiful. It's, no, that's really it. Like, if you do increase your rate, I usually do it that I uh, either only do a little bit for the existing clients or don't do it um, because I respect like our agreements. Mm -hmm. um, obviously if they're like really long-term clients, eventually you'll have to raise it a little bit. Yeah. But um, yeah. So just like something like don't just approach your client. Hey, I want twice as much now. Like that's probably not a good look. Yeah. Especially if they're long-term clients. Um, um, and the, the, the way you approach building a brand, just finding something that is important and noticeable. Yeah. By looking at the market, is something I'm, I'm always trying to encourage junior designers and creatives to do with their own brand. Cause it's always like, I need to make a cool logo. And it's like, no, they need to go to your website and look at it and say, this person thinks and executes in ways that align with what we need or like something like that. Right. And I wonder how you approach uh, personal branding as a brand designer and mm -hmm. how important is it to have a clever logo versus showing people, showing clients the things they need to see in order to trust you. Yeah. Your own personal brand. 
Um, it is it is important and it isn't. I would not spend my time coming up with my uh, own logo for my personal freelance business, and I don't have one, by the way, because I treat my brand or my portfolio kind of like as a framework for the work that I've done. So it, I don't want to take away from it by putting my slapping my own branding on top of it. I keep my portfolio very minimal, um, very basic, and just feature the work that I've actually done for real clients. Um, and that's how I look at it in terms of like investment, right? Like it all comes down on like how you spend your time. And for me, I don't see the benefit of trying to market myself better because my marketing strategy is getting referrals and networking and getting to know the right people. And usually when someone tells you, hey, this is a really reliable, good designer that will do a great job, um, it doesn't matter if you have a beautiful portfolio or just something basic that um, it doesn't even matter if you even have a portfolio at times. They're like, okay, let's, let's do it. Right. Like I trust this person. Um, it's much more powerful than trying to get your clients and, and spending your time on marketing. And I, I do want to say that it might also be like a message out there for people that have smaller agencies or um, yeah, agencies in general spend less time on, on sales and marketing yourself. Like spend that time on bringing value to clients, right? I spend almost no time on marketing myself or um, if anything, the only time I spend is maybe uploading a new project to my, uh, to my portfolio. Um, but um, I barely spend any time on trying to find or sell to clients um, ever. And I don't ever sell anything to my clients on the call or try to get more money out of them in any case. Um, I think what's what really is powerful are doing good work and you're gonna get referrals. Mm -hmm. The only thing I might do is ask for a referral or ask them, hey, are there anyone else that I might be able to help here? And um, that's about it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't come in with like big pitch decks into any call. Um, I, we have not done that for big companies. I'm certainly not doing it for small businesses. Um, when we are on a call, on the discovery call, you're going to do 85% of the talking. I'm just going to listen, take my notes, maybe ask a couple questions. And I see a lot of businesses that come in with a 50-slide deck, three people doing a pitch for mm -hmm. 30 minutes, and then you have five minutes to ask questions, and that's the wrong way to go about yeah. it. Yeah, but they, they have an intern to make that, that pitch deck, so they uh, <laughs> so is. they feel like they have to do it. No, it, I mean, it's just when I look at agencies and like who I want to hire for a project uh, or what agencies I want to work with, I usually, um, when I see people or agencies spending a lot of time on their own personal marketing and everything is polished and they come in and they have a large deck, 95% um, of the time, I feel like they're not actually listening to the problem that I have, but trying to push me into one of their product categories that they're selling. Mm -hmm. um, like they have like those package deals or, or whatever, like especially marketing companies are notorious for that. Mm -hmm. um, and that, even if I were to engage with them, usually leads to them not really um, delivering on what I want, but delivering what I told them that I want. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and really that comes down to like how you compete on price because those agencies have usually the best pricing because they just have a really a standardized sales process, standardized product that like yeah. it's, it's assembly line. Exactly. It's assembly line. And they're not really understanding what, what you might as well just for. go to free pick. Yeah. Yeah. Really? 
it's um yeah that's why like the message is essentially i personally don't like or don't want to spend a lot of time on marketing myself because i don't need to mm. my biggest clients come through people that were happy with the work that went uh, to a different company that kind of um kind of went up the ladder in that company and then bring me on and then like that just keeps happening over and over again right um that's where I, like most freelancers get i think the big gigs i don't think you get like any decent gig through um like a, on, on indeed or uh on any platform really um, that all goes out to network and, and people that you trust simply because there's a lot at stake not because anyone thinks that um other people are not capable or the nepotism but simply because there's a lot at stake and you want people that you've worked with before uh, that you trust that you can rely on um that is really the main reason why uh, me personally i also reach out to my network and ask people if they can help me on it um because yeah i, I don't want to i don't want to take a risk um when i don't need to yeah um and when you understand that then maybe you also understand where you need to focus your time and it's on making your clients happy and building relationships that's yeah, that, that's so, and that's so yeah, important. I mean, uh, businesses, when when businesses purchase something, they're always looking to mitigate risk. Yeah. And risk is, def let's define it as the potential for a loss, the potential for a bad investment. And so we have, to, if you ask yourself, what are the risk mitigating factors? And establish relationships is like number one. Portfolios do work. A lot of people want to see, obviously, that you are capable of the work. And especially when there are cult leads or people that you don't know or have any relationship with, it's, it's important. Um, but honestly, you don't even need, absolutely need a portfolio on a website. Like, it's very good if you have it. But I would much rather have you, like, just start getting in front of clients with, like, um, a one pager or something of your work or something simple and just get going like i think that's really the message is like don't let it hold yourself back right a portfolio is is good it's going to help you find jobs it's going to make it easier um but don't spend a don't spend like a whole lot of time on it something basic really yeah. will do the job basic with exceptional work in it i do say like the work is what matters that's what i want to stress yeah. um and don't spend time like doing a logo or things like that, unless you really like that's your personality and you want to express something about yourself where it makes sense. There are instances that I want to tell anyone to not do something and um, because I, that's how I do it. But um, I personally say um, there is, it is less relevant than you might expect. When you're hiring a junior, what are you looking at when you look at their portfolio? Um, when I hire a junior, I look at their work right so the portfolio like the portfolio itself sometimes is nice and like it does get you excited when you see something hey this is really cool but oftentimes than not i've seen junior designers with great portfolios that um, when you look in the actual work it, it's falling all flat right um so the other problem is if you have a great portfolio you kind of compare the client work to, to it. And if you're not able to get client work to a certain level of, of quality, um, then what does the portfolio matter, right? Mm -hmm. um, because it, it is it is a whole other challenge to get like client work to a certain level of, um, of quality because there's money tied to it. Um, it's a real application, right? 
So you can't cut corners by just shortening the text or something like that, right? Like you could yes. for like a, for an example. By the way, I forbid my students from using lorem ipsum for that reason. Yeah. It's not it's Anyways. not applicable. Yeah. No. You can't you can't cheat like You're that. You're not learning. Exactly. So when I see client work and you actually have to work with like some real marketing copy and some real messaging and then you see kind of like the issues with it and and how the layout may be like a little lazy or um, they cut some or try to cut some corners um, it doesn't matter how beautiful your portfolio is it's like it you see that um, there's like not really the level of work that you might want to see for a certain position yeah. um, again I, I do mention that when you're a junior designer um, or um, you're applying as like an intern um, like sometimes you do give people a chance simply because you see how ambitious they are or like they have a really outstanding cover letter that catches your attention, right? Um, so those things do make a difference. Um, but what I typically want to see in a portfolio is a, like hopefully some real world examples, mm -hmm. something where I know, okay, this is real because you can kind of tell what's real and what's not. Yeah. Um, and um, then I want to look at like how diligently they have applied the work and um, if there are like any obvious errors spelling mistakes um, misaligned things uh, some some things that are just not um, up to a standard yeah. um, for like yeah simple things that's really what, what, what I'm looking for the basics in a way yeah. I mean yeah. it's, 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 I'm not expecting to have like this amazing portfolio from a junior designer I almost don't even want that because mm -hmm. then um, I'm like why would they want to work here if they have already this amazing portfolio, right? I never thought of it like that. Holy. It, it, it does make a difference because um, then the story, your story doesn't check out, right? You know, I'm happy you mentioned this because this is actually an issue, especially with international students. They have one or two years experience somewhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. And so their portfolios like are pretty developed, but the program requirements are such that you must complete an internship. So you're applying, but you haven't graduated, but you have a BA in from Brazil and three years experience. So like you're a junior, but you're not a junior. It's like super tricky for some students. Yeah. When I say like you have the most amazing portfolio, I don't mean that you actually have, yeah, the portfolio of the creative director. But what I mean is if you portray yourself as someone that has already knows everything, mm. that's kind of like the point that I was getting at. Okay, um, sorry. No, no, it's it's all good. I, I think I did, I didn't really make that clear. But if you portray yourself as someone as a know-it-all or like I I'm the expert, I see that a lot yeah. of like junior designers coming in as huh. like I already know it, huh. I already know it all, right? Those are the kind of people that you definitely want to avoid hiring right. because they're not going to be as open to learning, mm. and usually they might think they know it all, but. 100% of the time, not even, there's no exception, they don't. <laughs> people people write 10 out of 10 Photoshop. I'd be surprised if I was 5 out of 10 Photoshop. Yeah. You know, and that's being generous. Uh, that's, so, yeah. I prefer someone saying, hey, I, I'm i not great at these things, but I really want to learn it, over someone that says, I know all these things 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's Again, though, it's tricky for students with previous experience because it's like, but you're a student. But two, but I, two years is, yeah. is nothing. You're right. You're it's so, nothing. You're that's so not right. that's not yeah. experience. That's like you you got yeah. to know, like you got to play a little bit, right? Um, yeah, that's true. It's after two years, you know 
I'm sorry, but you know nothing. <laughs> I know. You're just you're just starting to learn how much you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's it's so it's so years. early on. Yeah. Um, and you you really like even if you like two years somewhere else and now you're moving, you're relearning a lot of the cultural things yeah. too, right? Um, that are relevant to delivering quality work here. Um, especially sometimes the the creative standards are also different in other countries. Um, so like you have to sometimes raise your standards coming to North America where yeah. the, the standards are very, very high. Um, and yeah, after two, if after two years you portray yourself as someone that knows, um, a lot or knows something very, very well, yeah. you are robbing yourself of the opportunity to learn, not because someone might not hire you because some people will. Sure. Right. Not everyone. But someone who doesn't know better. Yes, gonna most you. likely someone that is no yeah. better or they, they don't find someone uh, for that role. Yeah. Um, but you rob yourself of the opportunity to learn because you come in as I'm the expert. Yeah. You're not open to learn. You open, you almost get defensive and you, 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 you don't have the right mindset to actually pro, pro, make progress and learn, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's really the important piece uh, that I think um, people should take away is it doesn't end. Let me just put it that way. After, after you graduate college, it doesn't end. It no. just starts for it, you. Oh, I mean, I, I, keep, I could put a little bit of perspective into this. I don't know if you, if you use InDesign a lot. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So you know about grep. Yeah. So you can use them to select things. So I want to select every single time there's a period and there's two words before the period. I want to select them and I want to select the space and replace it with a non-breaking space character so that I never have one word alone at the bottom of a yeah, line. Yeah, hanging with us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or runs. So I teach how to use grep to do that. It's, it's super easy. And a student was looking at some of my old work and they were like, well, you don't do that. I was like, wow, when did I actually learn how to do this? It was only three years ago, which is like eight years into my design career. Yeah. You know, that's something I learned, which now seems so basic and like so 101, yeah. like preventing runs and widows and orphans, basic, basic, basic. Yeah. But I didn't learn it. And I, and I have published hundreds of, if not thousands of designed pages without knowing this, manually removing runs and missing many of them. So there, there you go. Like it, it never, it never yeah. ends. It never ends. It never does. You will never. And that's also why I'm like, back to the expert right yeah i never want to be in the mindset where i think that i know enough um because that will never happen and i think that has allowed me to learn the most coming in with that mindset of um whoever i interact with it might be a copywriter or it might be someone in marketing that um has nothing to do with my job at all but um the important piece is that i'm curious and i think the most you can rob yourself from this is by putting job titles like entrepreneur or uh, CEO of a marketing agency. Or if you do that, you you are literally robbing yourself from a opportunities because someone like me will most likely never hire you because I already know that you're not willing enough to learn um, because you already see yourself at the top. And so you're robbing yourself of literally the opportunities. But yes, other people will look down on it too. Um, I'm kind of indifferent about it because I think you can do whatever you want, but I might not hire you. Mm. Um, but uh, the other thing is you're really robbing yourself of like the opportunity to learn just by looking at the environment without anyone teaching you mm. uh, because you always have to put up that image of being the expert.
whenever you're at some kind of boundary, like graduating, it's kind of like, okay, where am I now? And how do I present myself now? And then, you know, you do that first job for, let's say, two years, and you're like, okay, I'm done growing here. Where Where is the next opportunity? And how do I present myself now? Mm-hmm. And it's just constant, constant, constant. Yeah. You'll constantly hit ceilings where you don't feel like you're moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to make a decision and refocus and, and move on. That is constantly going to happen. That will never change. And it shouldn't change. Like, you, I don't want anyone to, like, stagnate and just, like, start billing or clocking the hours and then clocking out at, at five and going home. I think like the creative the creative world is a, is a really beautiful one because there is very, very little rules. And um, I already believe that there are much less rules in other fields already that people might think they are. But especially in the creative world, you can do really anything you want. And as soon as you stop pushing, you are really going to just um, gonna fall behind because... Uh, everyone else is pushing and they're going to get ahead of you. Yeah, 100%. I think the only rules are align your text, use hanging indents, and no runs. <laughs> yeah. Anything else is fine. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Pretty yeah. Much. I, I, no, I, you know, there's a saying about advertising. I'm not, I think it applies to branding. You'll tell me. You create a problem and then you offer the solution. Mm-hmm. So the problem is soap doesn't smell good. Our soap smells good. So it's like, you know, and... What I'm getting at is you write the rules. We will look at the client and we will look at the market they're serving and we will write the rules that are required to succeed. And then the designers will deliver the the creative that does that. So like it's both terrifying and liberating Mm -hmm. because you write the rules of success. But fuck, if you get them wrong, like if Leo doesn't get the right rules for this brand strategy, we're in trouble. But if he gets the rules right, then we're going to do awesome. Yeah, there is, I forgot their names, but there is a masterclass on this of like two people that started an, an agency. I forgot the names, but it's a really good example because they had no idea about marketing and um, uh, they just kind of did whatever like they thought was best. And um, they were really su- successful with it because they didn't have that predetermined mindset of like, this is what it needs to look like. Right. And they did this Super Bowl at um, where it was just the monkey bashing the, uh, the thing for like, couple minutes or I something like that. I remember that. And it was like, at the end, we just wasted $2 million. Um, and then like something clever about like what it was, I don't know, yeah. insurance or whatever. It was the E-Trade ads and you can Google E-Trade. We just wasted $2 million if you want to see them. They did that. And it's because they kind of did not follow the rules of like, this is what an ad story needs to look like. Right? Yeah, right. Of course, now I don't remember that brand. But I mean, who knows? Maybe they never advertised again after that. And that's why they fell out of my memory. Who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, it, you got to follow up on it over years before yeah. I get brainwashed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just want to jump back, if we can, to pricing. And um, for a junior freelancer, there's always uh, one of the first requests you'll get from clients is, can you send me a pricing sheet? And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on pricing sheets. So something like this happened to me, like someone asked for some sort of pricing sheet. What's important to understand is sometimes you and your client speak different languages and there are different terms. Some terms are old school. Some terms are misused. Um, I mean, I don't even have to start on like the word logo and brand mark and word mark and lockup and and logotype, right? Like there are a million million words for the same example. So sometimes you guys, uh, the client and you just speak a different language, mean the same thing. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they, they are misusing something. 
or they have a different understanding of what that means. What's important is, and it goes back to account management, is how do you respond to that? So number one is you never say no to your client. Um, uh, if you have, like, if something is unclear about, like, what they're looking for, you clarify with them, right? You just email them, like, hey, like, um, what is it exactly that you're looking for? Or maybe ask them, like, um, get a little bit more information on, on why they're looking for it. And then you provide them with something from your end. If you, let's say, you actually don't have, like, a, a pricing sheet or whatever they're looking for, you say, hey, um, this is usually how I price, right? Mm. So you don't say, no, I don't have that. And that's the email. You say, you ask like what it, what they're looking for, what it is, and they say, okay, I understand. Like this is how I do it. Uh, here's my my rates, and here's how I usually price projects. And you kind of avoid the um, like the nope, that's I don't have that, right? Yeah. And you open up the conversation. <laughs> so that's yeah. like the important thing about like how you interact with your client after you encounter something where there's something unclear. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, in the end, my advice to her was just email the client and say. Do you mean by a media guide? And I think she, anyhow, she, she got the job, so it worked out. But because that can mean a million things. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions. I think yeah, a lot of people are too hesitant to send that email. They think, what is the client going to think of me once they see the email? They're going to think less of me. I'm not the expert anymore. Again, going back to why you no. should not think of yourself as the expert, yeah. because you are also not permitting yourself to ask questions. Yep. Um, so we're, we're racking up a lot of reasons. <laughs> yeah. But um, again, like, don't be afraid to just send off an email to the client. They're actually, they appreciate the communications. They want to check in with how yes. things are going. You should check in at least twice a week. Uh, if, um, if you haven't sent something on like, uh, Friday or, or Thursday, you should definitely check in and make sure that they know where the project is at. And then you can also easily slip those questions in, hey, while I was working on this, I would never ever just like leave it open and then ask when I present the work um, about this or something being unclear. Oh God, no. yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. Nightmare. Just, I have never experienced where uh, I asked a question in an email where the client was like, hey, like this is, uh, this is a stupid question. Like you should have not asked that. It just doesn't happen. Right, no. like it doesn't. Just, see, just um, I don't know. A couple of weeks ago, a client asked me for sitemap and IA. So sitemap mm -hmm. and information. Yeah. And I was kind of like, how, like IA, like what do you, what exactly? Are you looking for the meetings that happened, like over all this? Like what are you asking for? And then uh, a sitemap, like in the '90s, a sitemap was like this thing at the bottom of every website, mm -hmm. and a sitemap could be something with a bunch of boxes, like a flowchart. Yep. And a sitemap could be an XML document. Mm -hmm. So the client doesn't know. It, they could be asking for something which is none of those things. Yes, exactly. And I could spend all night trying to find out how to extract an XML yep. sitemap from, and maybe not being able to because it's just front end and I don't have like. Or you could send one email. Or I could send one email <laughs> and say, uh, sitemap, there's a suitcase word. Just trying to make sure I have my eye on the right deliverables here. Are you looking for something that shows? a high level picture of all of the pages on this site and how they're connected. Yeah. And then you get an email that says, yes. Exactly. So something I do want to say is I wouldn't recommend you always sending off an email right away. Like if something isn't clear and like constantly bugging your client, Yes. Um, do your, do your due diligence, check your files, see if, if you can find what they are looking for. Um, and then when it's not clear, 
don't spend any more time trying to Google something or trying to make something up, then it's time to, to email your client. But definitely do your due diligence and check your, your things and make sure that you're not asking something that they might have already told you, check your old emails and things like that. Um, so a little bit of due diligence, I usually like give it like five, 10 minutes to make sure I, I really don't know what they're, what they mean. Sometimes I find something I've, uh, like sometimes after five minutes, it's clear. I'm like, okay, this is what they meant. Yeah. I can proceed, but definitely don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. Sometimes just the process of drafting the email yes. makes the light bulbs like go in your brain yeah. and you're like, oh, I'm so like, I know exactly what. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm confused or even just angry, because I get, you know, it happens. I will remove the recipient's name from the send mm -hmm. field just in case I send it by mistake. Because sometimes when you draft these clarification emails, yeah. they're anything but clear and they do anything but clarify until you've written them and rewritten them. Yeah. And if you're frustrated and it's a crunch and you've just had a bunch of extra work dropped on your desk, you could find out that it is that much work. You could find out it's not that much work, right? You don't know. But well, the last thing you want to do is accidentally send an email. So take the name out, type up this, express your discomfort in the moment, and then reflect on it, and then come back to it, and you may find that, oh, I do have this file. Yeah. Or, oh, it's yeah. not this much. Or you may find that, you know, there's really a problem here. And you really got to know how to write good emails. Uh, that is just the reality of it. That's where most of the business, even the design world happens. Um, you got to know how to structure and write a really, really good email. It's, well, it's like you said, we're making up our own rules as we go. And yeah. the clearer those rules are, the more successful your visual yeah. execution or, or whatever. Exactly. You have to set the rules for yourself and the client. Yeah. But yeah, you also have to kind of stay on top of what they want, stay organized. And uh, emails are a very important piece of communication um, that should always, you should always put a time in, put a lot of time into my emails. Um, I can't tell you, like sometimes I get four or five different emails from the same client. Hey, here, like, here's this and here's that. And this is what I thought of. And you have to take the time and sift through all the emails, summarize everything. Three emails, a text, a couple teams, messages, and a voicemail. Yeah. It's more no, like it. It, it happens, right? Like yeah. then they may, may, might be calling you or something like that. Um, but it, you have to make sure that you have your emails organized. And so you can also go back to them and reference what was discussed, especially when you're on the call. What I typically do after a call is I send a, I send my meeting minutes over because I do that for them to know, okay, these are the tangible items we discussed, next steps, this is what I'm looking for, this is uh, what's coming up. Um, but it also helps me to reference what was discussed in the call because next week I'm not going to know what we discussed in that call, mm -hmm. right? And if you work in a team, if anyone jumps into the project and there's no like trail of like what happened, what was going on, they're going to be in the dark. So emails become incredibly important to organize the journey of your client and um, kind of um, keeping everything like somewhere on record what happened and that you can reference on record, not in a bad way, but on yeah. record. So you can build on top of um, those notes. That's super smart. It's like, it's like, it's just like taking minutes or anything like that. And I use folders in my inboxes. So first yeah. of all, I have, I have multiple inboxes because I teach at more than one school and I have more than one freelance client, actually only one freelance client right now. So I have three different outlook logins. Um, and yep. one way I manage that is Chrome allows you to have different profiles. So mm -hmm. instead of, if I didn't have that, I'd constantly be logging in and out every yep. time I need to check a different email. So I use, the, I use that to organize that. 
then um, within each of those inboxes are folders. And like I will sort projects into folders so that because email, it just gets insane, like the amount of yeah. different unrelated things. And then you're like, oh, I, I can never find this email. It's like, well, that's because you haven't done any effort to sort them. So especially for a freelancer, yeah. really important. So very important, super important. I'm glad you brought this up because um, I have a lot of clients and I have also agencies with a lot of people in it that need something from me, right? I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of messages on Slack. Um, so organization is, is very, very crucial. Um, I also, because I have different clients, I have a Microsoft suite, I have a Google suite, I have all those different platforms. Miro. Um, you have Miro, exactly. Uh, some use Asana, some use ClickUp, some Monday. use Monday. It can be, as a freelancer, especially when you when you like have multiple clients and you are also in a leading role, um, can be sometimes tricky to keep track of everything. So yes. one of my number one skills, um, I think, is that I'm really organized. So what I do is I have Apple Mail on my computer that have all my accounts for all the different emails I have. I think I have five or six different inboxes. And Apple Mail actually allows you to auto sort your emails into different folders. Oh. Yeah, so any email yeah. that comes in goes right into the right folder. And I have folders for my clients that I've worked personally for. I have folders for the clients of the agencies that I consult with. Right. And whenever I get an email in, it goes into the right folder and I see, okay, I got I got an update from this client and I can go into the folder. I have all the other emails that were sent before that so I can reference it. And um, it is super easy for me to manage five different emails uh, all in one. I know not everyone loves Apple Mail. I prefer actually Google Mail, but it doesn't allow me to do that. So yeah. that kind of supersedes um, the Gmail. But um, it, uh, it really auto-sorts everything. I, I also sort my invoices, I sort my receipts, I sort everything into different folders, uh, neatly organized, and it, it's a must. Um, you get like a 50 to 100 emails a day, right? Yeah. Um, there are also emails that are just simply irrelevant, right? I yeah. get, for example, ClickUp emails, which I don't wanna turn off because it is sometimes helpful to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. But you get a lot of those, right? If someone comments and I can just click, flip through it, and I know, okay, this is all irrelevant. This is okay. I'll check in. But that's a, a very, very easy way to manage a lot of emails coming in with different clients and just staying organized with everything. So, so are you just writing an email rule at client.ca goes to yeah. this inbox? Yeah. It's as simple as that. You can you can write rules for. Um, where the email is coming from, what the art, uh, what the uh, subject contains. So, for example, like I have a rule for receipts, as I mentioned, that just goes everything into like receipt folder or invoices goes into invoice yep. folder. Yep. Uh, it works ninety five percent of the time. Uh, almost always there is the word invoice somewhere or receipt. Yep. Um, so it just like helps me a lot to stay organized. Uh, it's not only that it just auto sorts, but also that I can go into the folder and I have all everything that's relevant to it in one place can read through the previous emails. I think that's really, really important um, to manage that, that like emails coming in. Yeah, F figure out whatever, figure out something that works and do it yeah. because you, you're, you're, you're gonna it's die. It's never gonna get less. Yeah. yeah, it's never gonna get less. Well, you hope it doesn't actually. I, I also use my calendar a lot mm -hmm. um, and I have yeah. four calendars because personal and then three mm -hmm. work. And then you can route them to each other so yes, which is important because your one client 
if they're booking a meeting and they don't see your other clients meeting, then they're gonna you're gonna get double booked. Yeah. And I'm a pretty small time freelancer, so I don't really get to dictate when the meetings are. So it's important that they see that they're double booking me. Yeah. So that's like I've played around with like the sharing calendars, things like that too. Um, it hasn't worked for me because um, again, Microsoft, Google, different calendars. Sometimes not as easy to to share and import everything. I also don't necessarily always want to sync everything up with like different work clients. What has worked well for me is I have a very simple agreement with my clients that they check on Calendly my availability before booking me Um, because that is linked to my one main account. Right. Once I have that uh, link in there, it's going to block it off for for someone else. Got it. Um, But yeah, sharing calendars also works. Um, I think Calendly works great as well because that also automatically generates a meeting invite and then they get that and then you get that. Uh, The other thing is usually I'm the one booking the, the... appointments as the freelancer right usually i have full control over when we are getting to meet um and uh it's very rare that a client would book me i do have a different relationship with my client right now where it would be them booking mm-hmm. eric we need you to do this here's who's involved here's who you will talk to um again yeah. different for every designer I, I also love the calendar just to remind myself when something should be done so like, yeah, it helps pushing else, forward the progress. How else will you know yeah, where you exactly. should be? It's so easy. It all just flies by. And then you're like, how long have I been working on this? Like, Leo, uh, thank you very much for, for this. Um, I really appreciate your perspective on both branding and freelancing. And um, it's great to know your story. And I really think it's going to help other people. And so I just, again, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, have a lovely weekend. Thank you very much. 